name's Connor. I'm student ministry director here. And I am so blessed to serve here um, and, and help out with the teenagers. I work with the middle schoolers and high schoolers, and it is just such a blessing. And one of the recent blessings that I've had is just getting connected with the high schools and things like that. And obviously with COVID and stuff like that, it's been difficult. But finally, I able, was able to get my foot in the door. And now I'm able to help out and coach at Hershey High School. And no, I'm not helping out with their football team. I'm not helping out with their tennis team. I'm helping out with their powerlifting team. Come on now. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's that? Here's what this is. They pick heavy things up and they put them down. It's simple as that, all right? So just to make it as simple as possible. So, but here's the thing, it, it is a sport. It, it does take some physical exertion. And so as a coach, my job is not to just say like, good job, buddy, you got it, way to go. My job is to step in and help out. I mean, they're high schoolers, okay? So like instead, like my job is to make sure they don't eat Taco Bell for every meal. Um, make sure that they actually eat some good food, like Chipotle, come on now. Um, I'm also going on record, I'm trying to be uh, the number one pastor to talk about um, Chipotle in a sermon. I think I have the record so far. But anyways, so... I, as, as a coaching staff, we sat down, okay, what are the four things that, or the few things, and we came up with four, that they need to succeed, okay? So you build up to get ready for game day, and you need to be as prepared as possible. And so what are the things as simple as possible that we can say, okay, you need these four things, and if you have these four things, you'll succeed. Well, we came up with, so our target was to have the best game day possible. And so we came up with these four things here. You got to sleep, right? You can't stay up all night playing Fortnite. Come on now. You got to get some good food in you. You got to follow what our coach is talking to you about, our programming. And what's the last one? I always forget this. Get sleep. Uh, no, get sleep. Injury prevention. Stretch. Make sure you don't get hurt, right? These are the four things that we need to hit our target, okay? And so what I'm here to talk to you today is about how do we hit our target? How can we be as prepared as possible as SVC to be prepared to hit our target? And our target, man, we made it really easy for you. You just walk out in our foyer, you turn around, you look at that wall that has our symbol. It says, love God, love people, make disciples. And disciple is just a word to, to say followers of Jesus. Get Okay, so that's our mission. But how do we get there? How do we get there? What do we need to do to be prepared? And so, man, we're gonna, do, we're gonna do what, you know, those 90s bracelets would say. What would Jesus do, right? We're gonna look at what Jesus modeled for us because here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Not only did he come to die for us, to, to go upon the cross and die for our sins, but he modeled how to be a perfect human and modeled what it should look like for us. So our conversation's gonna look like this. We're gonna talk about four things. Um, that are that that we see in scripture that Jesus how Jesus prepared himself. Okay, these four things, and if you can do these four things, you will be set and ready to go. So these four things are this: to be extravagantly loved, to live a life filled with worship, study scripture, and to pray. These four things we're gonna dive deep into today. But would you join me as I pray this morning? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We praise you for this week, for this this time of celebration of, of Easter where you went to the cross for our sins. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we have air in our lungs, that we can sing praises, that we have this building that covers our heads. Lord, thank you for all the blessings in our life. God, I pray this morning that Connor would step to the side, that you would be the prominent uh, person speaking into our lives, Jesus. Thank you so much for all you've done. Thank you for modeling this. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So today, we're going to use this term, inflow, okay? So I, I work with teenagers and middle schoolers. So we're going to do a little, little repeat after me, okay? So on three, I'm gonna, I want you guys to say inflow, all right? One, two, three, inflow. Gold star. Good job, you guys. Thumbs up. So inflow, right? What are we taking in, right? It's similar to how we treat our body. What are the good things that we're taking in? And obviously it's these four things. And so the first one, the first inflow that we're gonna talk about is extravagant love. What is extravagant love? I think that's a, that's a great question to ask. And Connor, why did you say extravagant? You're just trying to be extra. Maybe a little bit, all right? But here's the thing. We can talk about love all the day long. We can say, oh, I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my kids. I love my dog. I love my life. But here's the thing. We live in a broken world where sin has destroyed and ruined and tainted everything. Maybe you're like me and you've had some really tough relationships not go well. Maybe the person that was supposed to love you the most in this world really struggles to love you. Maybe they don't show it. Maybe they don't express their love to you. Or maybe you've been stabbed in the back. Whatever it is, we've all had relationships that are broken, that have distorted love from us. And we don't really understand the full grasp. Even even our best relationships don't amount to, man, what we think love should be. It doesn't fulfill us in the, the way that we had this standard, right? We have this standard of how we should be loved and it's always fallen short with everybody else, with everybody in this world, except for God. See, here's the thing. When we know who loves us, we know whose we are and we know who we are. Identi- our identity is rock solid when we understand that God loves us. And Jesus In fact, Jesus needed to do this. And so a lot of things I'm gonna talk about this morning are before Jesus ever even came on the scene. Nobody really knew who Jesus was. This is before his ministry even started. And so what we see here in Mark chapter one, verse 11, if you have a Bible or if you have a phone or Bible app, you can turn there. And as you're turning there, here's what's going on. Okay, so Jesus, he has grown in stature and wisdom, which basically means he, he went through puberty, he grew up, he became a man, he got a job, and he, and, he, and he went through life. So we only really understand a little portion of Jesus' early life. We knew he was born, we know the Christmas story, right? That he born in a manger and all that fun stuff. And then we see a little blurb of him like around like 12 or 14. And then we see this phrase, he grew in stature and wisdom. And then he just comes on the scene. And so now... This guy, John the Baptist, has been preparing the way for him, right? He's getting everybody ready. He's like, yo, something big's about to happen. Y'all be 
better be ready, right? So he's getting everybody ready. He's John the Baptist because he's baptizing people. And baptism is just our way of symbolizing when you go underwater, it's our death and coming back and taking in that big breath of air is coming to life. And that's us dying to our sin and rising with Jesus. And so he's doing this. And then Jesus comes to the scene and says, hey, John, I want you to baptize me. He's like, whoa, whoa. hang on a second. You want, you want me to baptize you? He says, yeah, I want you to baptize me. And so here's what happens. So Jesus is baptized, and, and starting in verse 10, we see this. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Get this. Do not miss this, guys. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Some of you have probably never heard that that you are loved. Some of you have been searching your whole life to hear somebody say, I love you and I'm well pleased. Some of you have heard this before. You grew up in church. You, maybe you stopped coming. Maybe you're back now. Maybe you're checking us out online. And you're like, I know, I've heard it. My grandma told it to me. God loves me. But here's the difference between knowing God loves you and being reminded and knowing God loves you. So on my wedding day, I stood before my beautiful wife, Mackenzie. I couldn't stop saying it. I couldn't stop saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh my gosh, we're married. I love you so much. What happens if I just never told her I love you again? Oh, she knows. She knows I love her. Come on, guys, we all know this. We struggle sometimes maybe showing that affection or reminding our wives, hey, you know I love you. Whether it's through action, word, or deed, man, sometimes we can just struggle. Ladies, come on now. We know that we can sometimes, you guys can sometimes struggle with this saying, hey, I love you. Maybe it's to your kids, maybe it's to your friend. You know, some of my best friends in the world is when I get off the phone with them and, and at the end they say, hey man, I love you. We need to be reminded whose we are and who loves us. See, what happens here with Jesus is he is solidified in whose he is. So now nothing in the world and, and no words that somebody says to him can damage him because he says, I know whose I am. Your words don't damage me. This major life issue does not affect me because I know whose I am. I know who loves me. I identified, my identity is solidified in the Father. Who is in your life that is reminding you of that? See, here's the thing. I think, again, we, we don't see it as important because we kind of blow by it and we don't say like, we just use Sunday morning as Oh man, that's, that's why I'm gonna be reminded. Man, pastor had a really good sermon this Sunday and that's when we get reminded that God loves us. But what happens the other days of the week? What happens when that is challenged? Do you have somebody? Do you have people 
in your life that are reminding you that you're a child of God, that you are a son, you're a daughter, that you are extravagantly loved. So for us to have inflow, we need people in our lives consistently to remind us, hey, I know you're down, but God loves you. I know you're struggling. I know you feel like nobody loves you, but God does. We need to be extravagantly loved. The second thing is this, it's prayerful. We need to be prayerful, right? Like, you know, when you think of church, you think of hands put together, bow, bow our heads, right? And praying, but here's, here's the reality. I think this is the first thing that goes. When we're busy, prayer is the first thing that goes. And a famous quote from uh, one of the heroes of Christianity, his name is Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. He started the Protestant Reformation. He's the reason we have a Bible in our hands today. And he was, man, he got after it in prayer. He got after it. Like there is this quote. He said, oh man, I'm so busy today. I, I, man, I have so much going on. I got to take the kids here. I got to write this. I got to do this. I better spend three hours in prayer today. What? That makes no sense. How are you gonna make time? Because what Martin Luther understood, what Jesus understood, is that we need to be in prayer. Jesus is the perfect example of this. When we look at the gospels, when we see, so the first four books of the New Testament, okay? So this is Jesus. Old Testament is saying, hey, there's a Messiah coming. Jesus is coming. The New Testament is Jesus is here. Let me tell you about him. Okay, so the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all about Jesus's life. And those are historical accounts, first eyewitnesses to Jesus and they watched him, they walked with him, and constantly they were doing this. Where, Jesus, where'd you, where'd he go again? Oh, he's out praying. He's by himself. He's alone with the Father. And like, we got stuff to do. Come on, people to be healed. We need to do this. He's got to make food for 5,000 people. How is he going to have time? Come on now. 30 times we see in the gospels, Jesus getting away to be alone with the father. Why, and Mark, again, 135 says very, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. So again, we, we only have a certain chunk of our day right? That's reality. That's reality. We have certain chunks of our day for uh, all the things, jobs, groceries, all those things. But what do we prioritize? And Jesus saw prayer as the priority. What happens in prayer? Well, this is how I'm going to explain it. So I've been in Pennsylvania for like 10 years, like including college. I grew up in Maryland, okay? Maryland has some of the worst drivers ever. Like they're just mean, okay? Like you get those DC folk, oh, they're scary. If you're one of those, I love you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm your people, but man, they're aggressive drivers. Pennsylvania, you got the worst roads in the entire United States of America. 
Seriously. I'm just trying to drive to work with a cup of coffee and I just get spilled coffee burning me. Jeez, man, somebody fix it. If you're in charge of that, somebody please take care of it. Um, but my car needs to get realigned all the time. My steering wheel right now is going that way. If I j hands off the steering wheel and I just hit the gas, I would go right. Some of your lives are like that right now. Some of your lives are out of alignment right now. Your steering wheel's going this way. Just keep fighting like I do on the, on the highway. Just keep fighting it. What prayer does, what time with Jesus, not just praying at church, not just praying for a meal, time where Jesus tells us, time where we shut the door and get alone with the Father. It's where we get realigned. It's where God shares his purpose with us. He reminds us of who we are. He reminds us that we are extravagantly loved, where he tells us, hey, this is where I want you to go. Hey, remember, I'm in charge, not to belittle you, but to say, I've got you. Prayer, from a psychological standpoint, reduces anxiety drastically because we're realigned to understand who's in the driver's seat. Prayer points us in the right direction. See, here's the thing. When we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's about to die, where he's about to be crucified. What is he doing? What is he? He's not eating like the best last meal ever. He's not partying it up with his friends. He went alone to pray. And in that moment where temptation is, man, he could have easily just booked it the other way. He could have fled town. He knows what's about to happen. And in prayer, God realigned him and says, and Jesus says these famous words, not my will, but your will be done. See, prayer realigns us. It, had, it takes us in the right direction. So the third one is this, and this is the one I think a lot of people are gonna be like, especially if you haven't come to church um, in a long time, or maybe they're new to this Christian thing. I'm, I'm gonna ask you to study scripture, and you're like, Bleh. right? Study. Ooh. Like, I, the day I got my diploma from college, I'm like, never, ever, ever, ever taking an exam ever again. But then, like, you know, you have that, like, deep philosophical teacher, Connor, but life is an exam. Life is a test. You're like, go away. <laughs> but seriously, in all seriousness, it's, life is like a multiple choice uh, exam. And see, here's what you do in a multiple choice. You're not really looking for the right answer. You're looking to scratch off the wrong answers. You're looking so you study, so you can understand what the truth is. So when false information is thrown at you, you can come back at it and say, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Do you know how much false information we're being fed day in and day out. I work with teenagers, man. Do you know many young girls that are comparing their bodies to other people on Instagram and using that as the standard of that's what a woman should look like? 
the mental abuse that they put themselves through, the physical abuse they put themselves through, because what they think is the truth and they can't live up to that standard. Man, do you know how many people that I know that when they, you know, I went to Christian college and the whole joke was like ring by spring, right? You get married, you get engaged by your senior year. And that happened to me. But anyways, <laughs> I am one of those people. But what happens is, and we talk to friends all the time that they had these rose colored glasses because all they're looking at is Instagram and Pinterest about what life should be like married. And we all know that marriage is a battle. It is a fight that we fight every single day. But if you don't know that, then you are, man, what's wrong with me? Man, th this clearly isn't working, so I might as well end it and find the next one. Or man, maybe I should do something drastic because I, you don't know the truth. When we study the Bible, it's not so that you can get into heaven. It's not to be a good Christian or win Bible uh, trivia. It's so that you know when false information is thrown at you that you can say, not today. Amen. When Jesus was in the desert and he was tempted 40 days and 40 nights by Satan himself, you know what his battle weapon was? He could have used anything. He used God's word. How underutilized do we use God's word? When we just, I don't understand it. Man, that's what we're here for. All of these four things are done in relationships. So man, you're not, at, I say this, I've been saying this since I've gotten here to my students. You can't do life alone. Stop trying to read scripture by yourself. I don't understand it, sweet. We've got a lot of people on staff that know the Bible or it can point you somewhere. Man, I, I encourage you, find a time to study God's word, to be in his word to understand and hear the truth. Because here's what happens. When you think that you can't get through it, when you think life is so dark, you can go to Psalm 23 and say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When somebody says, man, I, I, I like you, and, 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 but you don't know what I've done in my life. I, I've done so much in my life. I gotta get right with God first. Gotta, you're like, wait, hold on a second. Ephesians 2 tells me that by grace alone, through faith alone, are you saved, not by your works. You can't do anything to be saved. When we understand what God's word is saying, we can not only point ourselves, but we can point other people to the truth. And when we have that false information thrown at us, we can swipe it to the side and say, no, that's not true. Let me tell you the truth. The last thing is this, living a worship-filled life. What, what do I mean by that? Well, here's, here's kind of an example. So there's this little kid in, in uh, children's ministry who is just the best. I love him to death. And his parents tell me stories of like how he just sings songs about Jesus, like makes them up. Not like the ones we sing. He's like, Jesus is awesome. He, He's cooler than all of you. Like he's just, he, he's got it. He, he's got it. Like somebody sign a record deal with this kid. He's writing some, some bars, right? He's, he's awesome. And I just, I'm like, man, I look at 
the Bible and it tells me to sing a new song. And I'm like, well, clearly this kid's doing something right. Have you sang a new song? When you walk through the house, do you praise Jesus for the walls around you? Do you praise God for the life that you have? Do you live a life saying, Jesus, thank you. You woke me up and filled my lungs with air. Do you live a worship-filled life? And we see what Jesus did. And Jesus, he embodies this idea that Romans 12 verse one tells us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. True, this is your true and proper worship. See, today's Palm Sunday, and this is where Jesus is riding in to Jerusalem, where he knows what's gonna happen. He knows what's waiting. He's a lamb heading to slaughter. What having a worship-filled life does is we understand whose this all is. That our life is not our life. That our spouse is not our spouse. That, that our house is not our house. Our money's not our money. Our air that we breathe in is not our air, but it's God's. And when we can just praise him for that, We have an attitude that leads us to true and proper worship. Just like Jesus, as he's riding into town, people are screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, praising his name, praising who he is. And as he knows what's going on, and he heads to the cross in true and proper worship. With all four of these things, it's a lot easier to, to just say like, okay, do these things once and you're good. And it kind of seems like, okay, so like I go to church, I hear God's word, I listen to podcasts, I do this thing, and and God fills me up. Okay, so this is God, fills me up, right? That's kind of how it seems, right? Maybe I went to church camp when I was a kid. I'm good, I'm set, God saved me, awesome. But in reality, in a broken world, in a life with broken relationships, with sin, This is the reality. With busyness, with pride, anger, lust, all of these things, they take away our inflow. So we need to be daily praying, daily remind ourselves to be extravagantly loved, daily studying God's word daily, living a worship-filled life. And again, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you this is how you get to heaven because we know that that's not true. But some of you know that, man, something's just not right. Man, I'm running on dry. Man, uh, when I serve in kids, man, it's just not, it's not that fulfilling. Or maybe I serve in student ministry. Man, it's not, man, something's not connecting. Something's not happening. When I served at the food pantry, it was cool and all. But we need to be filled to the brim daily because we need to prepare for battle. We need to be prepared for game day. We need to be filled up so that we can pour ourselves out into other people who don't know Jesus, to our kids, to our spouse. 
We need to be filled to the brim daily. Are you filled? Is this where you get your filling? Is this the only place you get your filling? Because today I'm asking you to, to change some things that are really hard, to change your rhythm, to change your life. But I can, I can guarantee you when we, when we are with Jesus in glory, we can think about those times, man, where we were filled up with the spirit and we went out and we shared and we loved and we praised God and we could say, man, how amazing was that? How wonderful was that? We can be like the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts who are singing praises as they are being beaten and thrown in prison. There's a certain joy and peace when we are filled. So I ask you again, are you filled? Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for extravagantly loving us. Thank you for modeling prayer for us. God, thank you for your word breathed out. Lord, thank you for the cross and, and exemplifying the, the, the worship of the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross because without that, nothing is possible. Thank you that by faith alone, through grace alone, we are saved. Jesus, I pray as we go into a time of worship that we sing to the top of our lungs, praising you for who you are, what you've done and what you will do. Lord God, we love you and we praise you and lift us up in your glorious name, I pray.